Black Dahlia murder? And here I thought Thena only listened to Taylor Swift and One Direction. I guess we're going to be diving into some new music tonight. How fun. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. This episode is going to be heavy. Heavy metal, right? I'm Thena. And I'm Kylie. And this is Cryptic Soup Podcast. CSB. So, funny story. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, okay, so I wrote that intro when I wrote the episode, right? Uh huh. Speaking of One Direction. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Number one, uh, some of the members of One Direction made uh, a group chat, which has been talked about a lot heavily, but bigger news. Some of them all, uh, I think it was Niall. And maybe Zane and Liam, I think it was. It wasn't Harry. It might have been Louis, but I don't think it was Louis. I think it was Zane. They all together are making like a song on Liam's next album. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. But then on top of that, um, you know how Ticketmaster sucks? Yes. Well, today on SeatGeek, they were doing sales on certain tickets and certain bands and like musicians. Mm-hmm. And Louis Tomlinson was one of them. And I got two really good tickets for another Louis Tomlinson co- concert for uh, under $10 each. Whoa. Whoa. For the tickets. That is um, cheap. Yeah. Uh, total with like sales tax and everything. It was under $50. For, I think it was under $40 even with all of it. And the same tickets for just one ticket. And I bought two for just one ticket in that same area was uh, between $80 to $200 on Ticketmaster for the exact same seat. Dang. Yeah. So moral of the story. Ticketmaster is a fucking corporation owned yep. by a monopoly that's fucking bullshit. Don't use Ticketmaster if you can uh, avoid it. Which <laughs> the funny thing is, is once you buy a SeatGeek ticket, it transfers your ticket to Ticketmaster. So it's still using Ticketmaster. You still like my ticket is sourced through Ticketmaster. I literally just saved like $150, though. It's ridiculous. Dang. Okay. So now I have two Louis concerts to go to. One in the pit. I finna be in the pit. I'm apparently Tara's world now. I'm finna I finna be in the pit. No, no. But the other one is not in the pit. We have seats actually so that we can like relax and just watch it and be happy. Yeah. That's that that's that's my story. Of course it is. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have anything to talk about except for one direction and all the boys in it. And are you doing anything for Memorial Day? Um, yeah, we're getting our bathroom redone this weekend. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's exciting because mm-hmm. that's been a long time coming. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I was so excited because Corey's got, going out of town yeah. and I was so excited to just like, just me and dogs and myself and my house. And I was just so excited. And then everyone's like, do you want to do this? 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 So now I have everything every single day. Oh, that's bummer. Yeah, we have we have um the bathroom being redone this weekend. Um I have a tattoo appointment this weekend and then we have um the Bad Omens concert which we have VIP tickets for this weekend. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to work a little bit on the yard cuz we have the landscaper coming next week, I think it is. So so we have a lot of house stuff mostly, but then we have like a few tiny little fun things we're doing too. I have a tattoo appointment next weekend. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm getting one on my 
But you're doing it. I'm doing it. Do you want to tell the listeners what you're getting or do you want it to be a surprise? Well, because they're never going to see it. Sure. Uh, right. I'm <laughs> I'm getting the word angel in cursive letters on the side of my booty, kind of like almost next to like my hip bone, kind of like the slush. picture that you posted. Yeah. So yeah. if you saw that, you know. Yeah, it's not like like in the middle of like my ass cheeks. Right. It's, it's, it's like on the side. The all, all You'll see like. it when I'm wearing a bikini type thing. Exactly. Yeah. Why not? Why get the only time you're going to see a butt tattoo if you were in public? Yeah. Is if you wore one of those stupid swimsuits that literally are thongs. Yeah. I and wanna, I'm not cool with that. I want to do that. So. I mean, Margie has a butt tattoo, mm-hmm. and you can see hers when she has like underwear, like short, like like um, what is it called? Like like bikini like booty, bottoms and stuff. Yeah, and booty shorts so. or uh, not booty shorts, but no, it's like just bikinis and stuff. Because hers type. is at her top side. She oh, has okay, bats okay. flying across. Gotcha. Yeah, so. I'm just adding on to my sleeve, so hopefully that will eventually be completed. Is it more Peter Pan? No, it's more League. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm adding Kindred and Ash, if any of you. Oh, so Kylie and I are going to match finally. Any of you. The only yeah. the only league thing I have, guys, is a Kindred tattoo. Well, I'm not getting, well, I might. I might get part of that, what, of what you have, that symbol. But um, mask. I'm putting the actual um, champion. Oh, I have the actual masks the champions both wear. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm... I wanted specifics because I only play them with specific skins. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting them with specific skins. Hmm. Okay. So we'll see. Well, that's the biz for tonight. We don't even need to do the episode. I think that was good. Yeah. Call Bye. it a day. Bye. <laughs> Have fun. See you next week. Um, we're gonna do the Black Dahlia. We're not doing Casey Anthony. Are you, you sure? You know that though, because you clicked on this episode. <laughs> I hope. I mean Maybe. We could have been, you know, fibbing a little bit. This would have been a really funny April Fool's joke if all of it was like leading up. And nonetheless, out of everything in the end, I was instead like, ha it's Ted Bundy. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> no, that would have been really funny, actually. <laughs> like way out of left field. Uh, um, that's funny. But no, it's it's not. It's this and this is what we're doing. Not Casey Anthony. Not Casey Anthony. I almost said not the Black Dahlia. No, we are doing the Black Dahlia. Not Ted Bundy. <laughs> okay. Right. Getting ahead of myself here. Um... So I have a Black Dahlia murder t-shirt. Have you ever seen me wear this shirt? I feel like I have, but I don't know what it looks it's, like. It's, uh, I don't know if there's actually pirates on it, but it to me it's a pirate themed shirt because it says Grave Robbers Crew and I think it has like skeletons on it or something. And it says the word hell or like something, it's a curse word on it somewhere, to, very small. But I wear this shirt all the time, especially at the gym. Uh, it was like a boyfriend's shirt from like 2012. Never gave it back. Still I mean, have it to this day. Some Sometimes those are the best ones. I have never once heard a single song in the world from this band <laughs> ever. I could not even tell you a single thing about this band. I wear this shirt all the time, religiously, especially to the gym. Um, people quite often talk to me about this band and this shirt <laughs> because it's so like worn down. It looks like it's probably like my favorite band in the world and stuff. Right. And then I have to be like. I don't um, Would you like to know the entire discography and dates and times of every single One Direction <laughs> moment in the history of time? Because I can give you that. Literally. Um, don't know what the Black Dahlia Murders third album is, though. I don't even know if they have three. Nope. But I don't, I don't know, actually. I have never. Yeah. I don't but it's, it's named after this case, so. 
that's where this was all going. So there you go. There you go. All right. So that was enough history before the mystery. Yeah. So this is probably one of the most iconic, chilling, unsolved cases due to the way the weird body was found. Most people know the story of this case, but maybe you don't know some of the like details. So maybe you don't know what happened to the victim because we don't either. But um, it's been over 75 years at this point. I think this is either year 60, I mean, 76 or 77, something like that. Yeah, it's kind of a long time. And there's still been no real real leads in a sense there's no answers there's no solution it's getting weirder okay so we're gonna go over what happened and then some of the theories so that you guys can like decide and then i'm gonna ask kylie which she which theory she thinks is the one Mm. and you guys know the whole like it's a mannequin Mm -hmm. i thought it was a mannequin This, this is the og mannequin case for me like this, this is the is first it. one I remember being like, God damn it. Why would you think it's mannequin? Like there were other cases before this where people said that phrase, but this one is the mannequin case to me because this is the only one where maybe I would believe that they thought it was a mannequin because of the color, because the body parts weren't attached to one another. They were like dispersed weirdly. I could see this one, someone thinking is mannequin. Just this one though. No other mannequins exist. <laughs> Just this one, though. <laughs> Real fast answer. Real fast. Gotta gotta interject. Yeah. Just this one. All right. Let's roll into it, I guess. Around 10 a.m. on the morning of January 15th, 1947, Betty Bersinger, a local housewife and mother, was walking down Norton Avenue with her child in Los Angeles. Uh, she was just going down a neighborhood area where she said she saw something. It looked like a mannequin. (laughs) Um, She said, it's not funny, but goddamn, it's funny. Um, You know, the one time we see a mannequin on the side of the road, we're going to be like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to freak the fuck out. I'm going to start calling the police. They're going to be like, mannequin. Oh, my God. (laughs) They're literally going to be like, so it's a Forever 21 mannequin. (laughs) I'll be like, oh, okay. Cool. Uh, okay, okay. Thought cool. I solved a murder, but it's fine. Okay, thank you. They, she said it that they had it looking like a disposed mannequin, and she says there's reasonings why. She said it was in an odd position. It was near the sidewalk of Lemaire Park, and Betty said the body parts were so pale they were like almost white. It seemed, and it you find out it's because there's a lack of blood, Ugh. but she said they looked super pale, almost white, and they were separated from one another, like. The arms, the legs, the torso, and the head, these things are, like, separated, mostly. Like, certain like parts detached? Yes. Okay. Certain ones are detached, or at least at odd angles to where they look detached. Okay. So she's like, this isn't a human body. Like, that's right. not what bodies look like. Um, But it wasn't that they were detached. It's just they were that oddly positioned. The only part that was actually really, really detached was... She was split in half at the waist. Her top half and her bottom half were separated. Don't like that. All the rest, she was attached. She was just that mangled that she looked odd. Mm-hmm. There were pieces of her flesh that had been cut away entirely from her body. Her face had been cut from corner of mouth to ear on both sides, giving her what some people call the Joker smile, the Chelsea grin, or the Glasgow smile, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, she was in the um the park laying like that speaking of okay i'm sorry i got a tangent real quick okay uh do you want to know a crazy thing about the glasgow smile 
Sure. Like, this is really wild out there, but okay. So, um, oh, Sons of Anarchy, that TV show. Mm-hmm. I think Corey's parents like it. They uh, do. Yes. I have never seen it. Um, so there was a dude who's in that. He's also in a lot of famous movies. He's in like bro movies and stuff like Gladiator, <laughs> Braveheart, <movies>. like <laughs> things like that. If that makes sense, you know, uh-huh. he's in other TV shows too. Like, mm, I can't think off the top of my head like what he's in, but his name's Tommy Flanagan, right? Mm-hmm. This man is from Glasgow, okay? He's from that area, right? He's from Scotland. He's Scottish. Well, he's a famous actor. And one night while he was walking home from a gig, he got attacked by a group of people that said they were a, cut, a cult and they cut his, his face into Glasgow Grin's smile. And he has real scars on his face still. He managed to fight them off and get away and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he has a Glasgow smile. He's from Glasgow. And then the characters he plays, they can use his scars to make him look like a badass. He has them still to this day and stuff. But he has a real Glasgow smile. And he's one of the few survivors that has one. Weird. Isn't that? Also horrifying, mm-hmm. but super weird. Yeah. So. And kind of cool. I, but also horrifying. I'm sorry. Okay, maybe I'm a crackhead, but I want to say this man was in something Batman, too. I want to say he was in Gotham or something, but um, I feel like that's making me only think that because of those. Well, let me see. I'm going to look up Tommy Flanagan. Uh, I'm already there. He's most famous for Sons of Anarchy. Oh, he's in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's what I'm thinking of. Not the same thing. Not Batman at all. He's in Westworld. Um, oh, Westworld, Gladiator, Braveheart. Yeah. Okay. A lot of these I don't actually know. I don't either know. He's in a corn music video. That kind of makes sense, too. I feel like I've seen Killers Anonymous. So, I mean, okay, he's he's famous. Yeah. Um, For sure. I mean, he's in... Yeah, he's in Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 as a character. So, I mean, I'm sure I just don't recognize him. Okay, he is in Gotham, but he's only in one episode. He's a character called Tom the Knife. <laughs> you would remember something like that. That's just real. Yeah, he's in one episode of Peaky Blinders. Like, okay. So, he's here and there. He's mainly like a TV type of person. Mm-hmm. Not a, he's Crazy. in some movies, but more TV. So, that's your little Glasgow grin smile. Fun fact, I guess. Interesting. And other fun fact, Chelsea Grin, amazing song by Burning the Horizon. That's that's the that's the whole fact. <laughs> it's a fact, not an opinion. Um, no, that one's a fact. And <laughs> another really funny fact about that, you guys. You know how you always have those like memes where it's like, I'm so glad my parents didn't let me get tattoos at like 14 to 16 years old because I would have the stupidest shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, my mom did let me get tattoos at 14, 16 years old, so mm-hmm. fuck me, right? But she wouldn't let me get words. She was like determined about that because she didn't want me to grow up and like hate whatever it said. And those Why? Are because you to... can cover words a lot easier than you can cover actual well, it's, things. I guess it's because the things I was getting weren't big. So in her mind, I could cover those easier than words because I, the things I wanted word wise were like longer. I wanted the lyrics to Chelsea Grant by Bring Me the Horizon on myself. That's one of the things I wanted. Of course you did. <laughs> so see, I listened to things besides Taylor Swift. <laughs> I listen to Bring Me the Horizon, apparently. Oh, wow. You can really see his scars. Yeah, they're crazy, right? That is crazy. 
Okay. Moving on back to the Black Dahlia. I just thought that was a wild one for you guys. And we've lately gotten some feedback about you guys liking our tangents lately because they've been more either just like fun or more on point, I guess, and that they've been informative. So, I mean, we've been doing this for kind of a long time now. So, well, someone really liked our Mia Khalifa one. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, Athena, that was interesting where you went with that. And I was like, thanks. I didn't technically mean to, but thanks. That's so funny. Of all ones to like, that didn't have to be the one, but it's okay. So, yeah. We all know why. We understand. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I did find out what kind of porn she does, by the way. Um, okay. So anyway, <laughs> moving on. Someone told me. I didn't Google it. I didn't moving Google it. Someone on. told me. <laughs> um, so there were numerous cuts and bruises on the victim's breasts and thighs and whole sections of her skin that were removed, like I mentioned. Some of her organs, such as her intestines, had been removed and placed, like, almost just under her body, like, under her butt, under her buttocks. Hmm. Um. Like, here's all of your organs laid nice and neat, and now here's you laid on top of them. Yeah. Okay. Put, making sure that they have all their equipment. Sounds great. The body had extensive mutilations across it, and another eerie seeming thing about the whole thing was authorities noted there was a lack of blood at the scene. Not only was the body, uh, like, b- blood White. dry, <laughs> but um, it's like there wasn't even blood leading over to the body, like, oh, they drugged the body over here and blood dripped. Like, there was no blood anywhere. Anywhere. Creepy. So they thought this had to have been a body that was disposed, obviously, because it was murdered elsewhere and dumped here. Otherwise, how would it be bloodless? Mm-hmm. Near her body, detectives noticed there was a heel print and a cement stack that had traces of blood that they assumed could have been where they, like, had the body transported to the vacant lot. Like, maybe they set her down there for a moment while they moved her body. That was the only thing they found, though. Quickly, authorities knew that this was going to be a really big case for the L.A. Police Department. So the LAPD brought in the FBI to try to help and identify the body. And they figured once they identified the body, that would automatically pretty much lead to a solution in the case. Because they thought this this is a wild one. We'll be able to solve it easy enough. Or if there was like already a serial killer out there that was doing this, like they'd be like, oh, yep. Mm, You're already jumping ahead to the theories. Oh, I don't even know. Okay. The FBI wasted no time. They used something called sound photo. Which was essentially like an old day fax machine where you would send this photo evidence type stuff through the phone, in a sense. It's complicated to explain. Okay. And um, essentially, yeah, you it's it's a fax machine. I'm looking it up. I have to know. Okay. Sound photo. So they use this sound photo and they got a picture of some blurred fingerprints they found um, on the body that they got. They 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 tried to get them. And they identified the body. Oh. So it's actually a wire photo. Mm-hmm. Um, See, I didn't want to try to sit here and explain photo all Photo cell. Yeah. Guys, this one's weird. You're going to have to look it up because it's it's very... It's Do you see why I, I... That's the only way I could describe it was an old school fax machine because that's the closest thing I can think of, even though it's super wrong. I still don't understand, though. <laughs> like, I looked it up and I still don't understand. It sounds like a Phineas and Ferb uh, invention. <laughs> like... Huh. All right. Well, they used the, the blurred fingerprints to come up with a solution. It was Elizabeth Short. And they found that out on the evening of January 16th. So literally the next day they were on it. They figured that Elizabeth Short was a 22 year old woman who hoped to become a a next like Hollywood star type person. 
I feel like in those days, anyone in L.A. was that was was like that. Yeah, that's why you went to L.A. <laughs> right. The FBI knew it was a match because they had two separate fingerprints in the system for Elizabeth. First, she had applied as a job for a clerk at the commissary. The commissary? Yep. Okay. Whew. At the com- I was trying to say commission. That's where it went wrong. Um, a clerk at the commissary of the Army's Camp Cook in California in January 1943. So they had fingerprints for that. But then secondly, she had been arrested by the Santa Barbara police for underage drinking seven months after that. So they had also like an arrest set of fingerprints. Hmm. The Bureau also had her mugshot in its files and they provided that to the press and the authorities to like put a face to the pictures and all that. The L.A. County coroner named Frederick Newbar performed an autopsy on Elizabeth Short's body on January 16th, 1947 as well. According to Newbar's autopsy report, uh, Elizabeth Short was five feet five. She weighed about 115 pounds. She had light blue eyes, brown hair, and badly decayed teeth. Now, people are like, she had black hair. It was very dark brown, almost black. And some people say she dyed it black. But the coroner called it brown. So there's that. Hmm. Already got discrepancies here, okay? I think it's more a matter of how you look at it. Like, maybe under his fluorescent lightings, it looked more brown, I think. Yeah, because you could actually, like, see the color. Yeah, Yeah. and probably he could see, like, some follicles that looked more brown. And he's like, well, her natural tone is more brown. Yeah. Elizabeth Short's severely mutilated body was severed at the waist. Her blood was drained, and it left her skin stark white, like we explained earlier. The medical examiners determined that she had been dead for approximately 10 hours before her body was discovered, putting her death somewhere between January 14th late at night and early morning hours of uh, January 15th. The marks on her body suggested the woman had been bound and tortured, and her official cause of death was cerebral hemorrhage and shock. I am going to discuss what the coroner said some of the injuries were, and it sounds really gruesome so just be prepared there's like five or six paragraphs i'm going to go through real quick they sound bad just you know you got this you got this just skip a few if you don't it's fine there were multiple lacerations that were present in the mid forehead right forehead and the top of the head in the midline there were bruises and cuts to her actual forehead her breast her face and her thighs where she had been severely beaten her hair was stained with blood And although her skull was not fractured, there was bruising at the front and right side of her scalp. She also had a small amount of bleeding in the right subarachnoid space. Yeah. That was consistent with having heavy blows hit to her head. Elizabeth Short's abdomen had been cut in half under the ribs. The two sections were approximately 10 to 12 inches apart. The arms were raised above the shoulders, bent at the right angles at the elbows, and the legs were separated. The lower half of her body had been removed by severing the intestines at the duodenum by transecting the lumbar spine between the second and third lumbar vertebrae. The upper front teeth were missing. Both cheeks were slashed almost ear to ear from the corners of the lips. The liver protruded from the torso and the entire lower half of the body was hacked, gouged, and otherwise desecrated. The stomach was filled with a greenish-brown granular matter that they identified as mostly feces, but other particle that they couldn't identify. Like her feces or? I don't know that much, but it was in her stomach lining as if it was ingested. Yeah. 
that that was my, that's my question, I guess. Um, they did do a vaginal check, but they also did an anal opening check, which is where they double check the normal pupillation. It should be if that's a word, and then how much it's currently dilated at, which it was one and a quarter inch diameter, which is much larger than a normal size that it should be at a normal marking. The sphincter was bigger, guys. <laughs> yeah, so they did a rape kit on both orifices, her vagina and her anal opening, and both did come up negative. So that was the one... That's good. Like, almost good thing to come out of yeah. this. Silver lining, a little bit. However, there was a lot of lacerations near the dilation of the anal opening that seemed to have occurred after the woman's death. So it doesn't mean she wasn't raped. It's just she wasn't raped by... um anything that could produce a rape kit. Gotcha. Elizabeth Short's mother, Phoebe Short, didn't learn of her daughter's death until reporters from the Los Angeles Examiner telephoned her, pretending that Elizabeth had won a beauty contest. They called her and asked her a ton of questions to get inside details on Elizabeth before they eventually revealed the truth and said that her daughter had been murdered and her corpse had been dismembered in unspeakable ways. Wow. That's, That's so harsh. sad. Yeah. So sad. Well, it's just like, She's probably also, like, happy for her because, mm -hmm. like, it could be her big break. And, you know, ugh, it's kind of shitty. I understand. It's kind of shitty, though. Fucking tabloids. The police then sent out a bulletin in hopes of finding more information out about the victim and who could have been the cause of this. Eventually, some details about Elizabeth Short were uncovered. They figured out she moved to Los Angeles in July of 1946. She was working at a waitress as she struggled to get acting roles in Hollywood. She lived in a rented room behind the Florentine Gardens nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard. And as they started figuring things out, the news about Elizabeth being murdered started to like make its rounds and newspapers started referring to her as a nickname, which they dubbed the Black Dahlia. They said it was due to her striking dyed black hair or the black clothing she wore. The nickname was a play on words of a popular movie at the time called the Blue Dahlia. The name was created and popularized by the media and news reporters while the story made headlines for weeks because this was a wild case. As the media learned about Elizabeth's history, they began to brand her as a sexual deviant. One police report about her even read, the victim knew at least 50 men at the time of her death and at least 25 men have been seen with her in the last 60 days preceding her death. She was known as a teaser of men. So due to a police officer going on record and saying that, it let news articles go crazy with stories. Of course. So they spread rumors saying that she was potentially a prostitute and that's why she like wasn't getting her roles. Or maybe she's actually a lesbian who just likes the attention and likes teasing men. What? Where, where did that assumption come from? Because she's not giving up to him and she's just teasing him, I guess. I have so, yeah. Uh, side note, though. Um, super side note. Not even, I mean, kind of related. Um, where you said sexual deviant, the mm -hmm. only thing that I could think of is a song called Sexual Deviant by Stop Drop Rewind. So um, I just have to plug them a little bit because they're one of my favorite local bands. So go listen to them. <laughs> okay. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> is Stop Drop Rewind the one that Olivia's husband's in? Uh, no, that's not it. No. I can't think of that one. That's the one that does the Blink-182 covers, though. Well, is that the one I'm thinking of? Yeah. So they are 
Not a cover band though. No, like, I know that. I just know they have that. That's one of the only things I remember. I walked in on them playing one time and I saw that one song. And I think that's one of the only times I've seen yeah. them. No, it they actually, Halloween. I have seen their entire list on Google Drive of all of the things that they can cover. And it's insane. Um, it was a Halloween show and I was dressed up as a MySpace scene queen. Of course. And they <laughs> told me I looked amazing. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> Someday when did. Corey and I get married, we're hiring them. We already talked to them about it. I thought you were going to say we were going to dress up as MySpace scene queens. I thought that's where you're going No, no, that's not happening. Huh. We'll see. It'll <laughs> no. be a MySpace themed wedding. No. Oh my God. <gasps> it's all you. A MySpace themed wedding. It's all you. No, I'm doing my Dolly Elvira wedding. I can't. Nope. Maybe I'll have to. Nope. <laughs> yep. There you go. <laughs> well, if I do a second one, I was going to do Twilight themed. Oh Damn, my this goodness. is really rude. I need like five. <laughs> Five, five weddings one one day a new theme mm-hmm. it'll be like a week-long event it'll be so fucking fun you know that would actually be really cool but it'd be really fun it'd be very expensive and people can wear outfits it'll be great so who was elizabeth short the sexual deviant lesbian prostitute hollywood woman <laughs> that we know nothing about elizabeth short was born july 29th 1924 in the hyde park section of boston massachusetts boston boston um, she's a Leo. The most famous and only person I really recognized on this famous birthday list was Benito Mussolini. How do I know that name? Mussolini, the Italian dictator guy, like the back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the only famous person I could find. Fucking Mussolini. That's like being like, oh, yeah, I share a birthday with Adolf Hitler. Like, what? You don't just fucking, like, that's not the one. <laughs> Jesus. I didn't know, by the way, my brother shares a birthday with Adolf Hitler. I learned that this year. Martina McBride was July 29th. Is she? Yeah. She was not on my list. I would have recognized that name. I know um, who that is. How about Jennifer Lopez? What list are you looking at? My list was bogus. I just Googled July 29th birthdays. Did I Google the right day? Yeah, you did because Benito Mussolini's on it. Okay, yeah. Okay, the thing I'm looking at, I don't recognize a single one of these people. Lindsay Lohan? What? Selena Gomez. What? <laughs> Lindsay Lohan and Selena Gomez have the same birthday? I guess. I recognize this one man, Josh Radner, and I can't even tell you what I recognize him from. I think How I Met Your Mother, maybe? And I don't even know that show. Huh. I do not recognize any of the people on my list. Oh, here's... You know who has a birthday July 29th on this page? The Black Dahlia Murder and Uh-oh. Mussolini. Those are the top two. Fucking Christ. What type of... What type of website do you use? I use the same website every time and it normally works, but this was not the vibe this week. No, I just. Hey, Martina McBride. There she is. Yep. Um, You're welcome. Huh. Allison Mack. Why is that name familiar? Don't tell me that's that bitch that was in the cult. Don't know. Uh Oh, Josh Red. Yeah! Allison Mack, the cult leader, has that birthday too. From Smallville. Hmm. <laughs> From the Nexium cult. Hmm. <laughs> Our opinion. All right. Hmm. Okay. That's also National Lasagna Day. That's a great, great day. That's a great. Did you just quote something from TikTok? I don't know. Did I? Lasagna. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's that one podcast. Oh, shoot. I don't know. That's how I've always said it because Garfield. Basically. The dude's like, um, like, how do you 
how do you explain lasagna? Because the G, you know, is silent. And he's like, well, you do say the G. And he's like, really? How? And the other guy's like, lasagna. Ew. <laughs> and like, and he's like, like what? Like, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. And I don't like it. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> it's like gnocchi. Like the G is very basically silent, but you're still like gnocchi. I say gnocchi. Like a Nokia phone. Almost. A lot of people say Nachi, and I'm Ooh. not here for it. Okay, moving on. But I'm also the person. If you say it like that, that you're wrong. <laughs> I can't say anything right, so don't trust how I say it. I say gnocchi. 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 Or I just say that potato pasta shit. Because <laughs> no one ever knows what I'm talking about. The when fluffy I say potato pillows. <laughs> like ravioli filled with mashed taters. I <laughs> know. <laughs> essentially not pierogies though that's a different one yeah you might get some might get some interesting answers for that one well elizabeth was she was born in 1924 she had two older siblings and two younger siblings her parents were cleo and phoebe short and cleo built miniature golf courses until he lost most of his savings in the 1929 stock market crash in 1930 his car was found abandoned at the charleston bridge And it was assumed that he jumped into the Charles River and killed himself. So Mm -hmm. since Phoebe believed her husband was deceased, she began working as a bookkeeper to support her family because she had five fucking children. That's kind of a lot. Elizabeth suffered from bronchitis and severe asthma attacks where she underwent lung surgery at the age of 15. I mean, that's scary around that time. Yeah, but hey, uh, she's no Annalise. (laughs) Right. I was like, oh, no, (laughs) let's not go down this road again. Uh, She's no Annalise. Well, the doctors advised her to relocate to a milder climate to avoid having further respiratory problems. So due to this, Phoebe sent her to spend the winters with her family, friends in Miami, Florida. And then during the rest of the year, she would live with her family. So it was worse in the cold? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because, like, she had cough and it hurt and stuff. Interesting. Elizabeth was said to be a lively and flirtatious person. Some people that were close to her called her Bet as a nickname for like Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth loved movies, which was her main source of entertainment in her family because they could actually like afford to like do that as a simple thing. Is it Bet or is it Betty? Well, I thought it was Betty too. And then I saw a thing where someone said Bet and then they said, because I would bet on her. Oh, so that's why I thought it was Bet. Okay. But it spelled more like Betty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth said she used the theater and movies to escape from her mundane day-to-day life. And that's how she knew she wanted to have it as a career someday. During Elizabeth's time in school, she ended up having to drop out due to her health. And she did eventually return because she wanted to attempt to graduate. And sometime while she was either in or out of school... Her family actually received a letter from Cleo and he was pretty much like, hi, I'm alive. I live in California and I have a new family and a new life. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if it went well or not, but it happened. And then Elizabeth ended up graduating from Medford High School in June of 1940. After that, she wrote to her father and asked him if he would send her money so that she could come live with him in California so that she could be a star. She ended up moving into Vallejo, But that's where her father lived. But her relationship with Cleo was not a happy one. And they ended up like pretty much parting ways. He said it was because she was too like rambunctious and young and she liked partying and going out. 
But you have to remember, she hadn't seen her father since she was six years old. And they said that they constantly fought and they both had like different lives at this point. And it could have been true that she was a little too party like because not long after this is when she's going to get arrested in Santa Barbara for underage drinking. Elizabeth took the first job she could. It was at a base exchange. She was living with an Air Force sergeant who repeatedly abused her. Elizabeth couldn't handle that before long. She ended up leaving. She went to Santa Barbara next. That's where she was caught for underage drinking. After this, Elizabeth fell in love again. At some point during this, she moves to Florida, and that's where her love, like, blossoms. Elizabeth begins exchanging letters with a man named Matthew Gordon Jr. He also works for the military. And they, two fell in love. Supposedly, Matt bought a wedding ring and was going to intend to marry Elizabeth, but he was tragically killed in an airplane crash over India on August 10th, 1945. Elizabeth ended up keeping a a telegram from Matt's mother in her scrapbook, and she expressed her condolences for the would-be bride. And, like... Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So, after this, Elizabeth is sad, obviously. So... She decides she's going to return to California and she's going to do her dream because everything else isn't working out at this point. So she's she's going to become a movie star, right? Mm -hmm. She had no industry experience, but she was trying to make contacts because she knew that was the quickest and best way to go about this. Elizabeth lived in Hollywood with Mark Hansen, who was the owner of the Florentine Gardens nightclub. Mark lived with his girlfriend, Ann Toth. Sounds when I say it it sounds like one word and it sounds like a Star Wars name. It does. It like it sounds very familiar. Yeah. Um, Mark and Anne, Mark and Anne, like, like from Parks and Rec, Mark and Anne. Oh, I was like, what? (laughs) Okay. Anyways, Mark and Anne, um, they lived together and then she lived, it sounded like behind them in like a building. I'm not totally sure how it worked out. Like a guest house type of thing, type of thing. Kind of. I, I don't know. It was very confusing. Um, she lived there from May to October of 1946. Anne had promised Elizabeth that she would use her connections to find her some movie work. Elizabeth supposedly had a crush on this man named Robert Red Manley, who was an L.A. salesman, who supposedly also had a pregnant wife at home. Manley claimed that despite him also having feelings for Elizabeth, they never slept together. But they did hang out. Okay. Okay. So they had been seeing each other for about two weeks. And then Elizabeth asked him to give her a ride and he agreed. So he picked her up on her home at her home on January 8th, 1947. That night he went out with her and he paid for her to get a local hotel room. When they arrived at the hotel, he took her, he took the bed and Elizabeth ended up sleeping on the chair. What a dick. Yeah. Manly drove her there. He didn't end up staying the whole time though, because he said that he couldn't wait however long she was there because she was waiting for her sister to arrive because she had an appointment the next day at like 6 30 so he ended up leaving afterwards and like i assumed they checked out of the hotel and then she's just like roaming around until 6 30 and that was the last time robert manley saw her and she was making a phone call in the hotel lobby and you find out that this time that manley sees her that time and when the hotel staff see her making this phone call that's the last people that saw elizabeth alive and that was on January 8th. And no one finds her body, remember, until the 15th. That's kind of a long time. Mm-hmm. When it happened, there were close to 50 men and women that went to the LAPD claiming that they were the killer. Mm. 
It made it very hard for the police to determine who the real culprit could be. There were numerous suspects over the years, but no one could they find enough evidence on to actually charge, really. They do charge one person ever, and it ends up getting thrown out. On January 21st, about a week after the body was found, the examiner received the examiner newspaper, not like a person that works examining things. The examiner newspaper. Oh, okay. I I got it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want that to be misconstrued. The newspaper received a call from a person claiming to be the murderer. They said that they would send Elizabeth Short's belonging in the mail as proof that they are the murderer. Well, then on January 24th, 1947, a suspicious Manila envelope addressed to the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers was discovered in the mail. The envelope included a letter that used cutout words for newspaper clippings in that style where it's like each letter is clipped out separately and pasted Mm -hmm. together, things like that. It said, here's Dahlia's belongings. And inside the envelope was Elizabeth Short's birth certificate, some business cards, photographs, some names written on a piece of paper, and an address book, which has a name on it. It was gifted to her, and it was gifted to her by someone else. And so you'll find out who that is later. The Bureau searched for a clue with all this evidence because they figured this had to lead somewhere. But they only found one thing, which was a partial fingerprint on the envelope. It was damaged during transport, though, and so it could never be fully analyzed. All of the contents of the envelope had been cleaned with gasoline, and they also found out that Elizabeth Short's body had been cleaned the same way. So that made them really believe that, like, it was from Elizabeth Short's killer, because why would they have known to use the same thing? Right. Police contacted approximately 75 different men from Elizabeth's address book that they had found. Yikes. But the men pretty much all were like, yeah, I only knew her for a short time. It's not like that. Like, I don't know her. But keep in mind, she's trying to make all these connections and everything else. Right. So she might have just met these men for like five minutes, like passing, being like, oh, well, I was told by Johnny to call you because, you know, Arthur, who worked Mm -hmm. on the set of Casablanca. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then that man gives her three names. It's all about networking. Yeah. So... Some of these people she may have never even met. On January 26th, another letter arrived. This one was a handwritten note, and it said, Here it is. Turned in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Had my fun at police, the Black Dahlia Avenger. The letter included a location. So the police went there on that day at that time and the place where he says, but no one ever showed up. So the FBI then ran record checks on potential suspects and started conducting interviews across the nation. Based on early suspicions that the murderer may have had skills in dissection because of how clean the body was cut, the agents started also checking out groups of students at the University of Southern California Medical School, where the police served a warrant to most of the students so they could see if anyone, like, had anything that could lead to a suspect. It's kind of a stretch, but... Okay. I mean, I mean, I get it. Kind of, but also kind of not. It wasn't very far and it is a medical thing. I could see it, but I don't know. After several interviews and several background checks, they were no closer to solving the case. Afterwards, the alleged killer sent another note made of letters cut and pasted from magazines to the examiner again. And it says, have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. Hmm. 
Yet again, everything was wiped clean with gasoline. Investigators couldn't even locate fingerprints on the evidence. At one point during this, the LAPD had 750 investigators working on the case. And they interviewed more than 150 potential suspects that could have been linked to this. Jeez. It's a short list. (laughs) By June of 1947, police processed and eliminated 75 of the suspects. By December of 1948, the suspects, I mean, the detectives had interviewed 190 people at this point. Since that, there have been another over 500 confessions to where people say that they're the person that killed her. But none of those people have been charged. Now, authorities played the blame game and they claimed there was too many words that sound the same right there. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Um, They claimed claimed the blame on the. They they blamed they played the blame (laughs) the blame game to claim to claim. And that sounds the same. (laughs) Whew. I don't know how I didn't get more fucked up the first time. <laughs> right. uh, they claimed the main suspect of the murder went unsolved because the media's interference with the investigation. Of course. Leave it to the media. Yeah. Well, officers and detectives stated that reporters were walking over evidence and that they were withholding information that they received from calls to their offices because mm. at one point the reporters were in the L.A. police station and were freely answering phones for them to help them, I guess. What? And the LAPD were like, those could have been tips that helped the investigation. And then because they wanted the story for them and no one else, they withheld the information. And so whose idea was that? <laughs> so because of that, yeah. Isn't that wild? That's an interesting aspect of the story. Yeah. So then February 2nd, 1947. Only two weeks after Elizabeth was murdered, the Republican state assemblyman named Cedon Field was inspired by the case to introduce legislation into creating a sex offender offender registry. And California became the first state in the U.S. to require a sex offender registration. Oh, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. While the case of the Black Dahlia still went unsolved, there were a lot of theories of who committed the crime. A large number of people have came forward to confess, like I said, but... Most of these confessions have been proven to have been wrong. Which is just annoying. Why? Stop it. Yes. Now, all right. I'm going to go through a few <laughs> theories and then Kylie's going to tell us which one she thinks. Now, let's start. Number one, Robert Red Manley, the guy. Mm-hmm. He's the one that drove Elizabeth Short from San Diego to L.A. shortly before her death. He was the last person to see her alive. He was also the only person ever arrested during the case. The 26-year-old married man was subjected to a thorough investigation, handcuffed, did a perp walk in front of the press, but Manley cleared himself of all suspicion because he passed every lie detector test. And at the time, police considered this to be a significant indicator of if people are guilty or innocent. That's it. Okay. Okay? hmm Now... Crime authors have made links to the Black Dahlia murder to the Cleveland Torso murders, which took place between 1934 through 38, and the murder of Jeanne French, um, which is also called the Lipstick Murder or the Red Lipstick Murder that happened in L.A. on February 10th, 1947. And they've been discussed as possible links, but we're going to we're going to theorize about other ones. OK, OK. All right. We're going to go through the, the next one. Okay, so this is Hodel's dad, 
Okay. After retiring from the LAPD, a former police detective named Steve Hodel published a true crime book called Black Dahlia Murder, A Genius for Murder. In it, Hodel lays out the details of the investigation and presents his own theory. He says his father, Dr. George Hodel, killed Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia. Why, do you, why, why, right? Like, that's weird. Why would you do that? Right. Well, shortly after his dad died in 1999, the retired LAPD detective was going through his dad's belonging and he was looking through this box and he found two photos of a woman who looked just like Elizabeth Short. Hodel then went through newspaper archives and witness interviews from the case and he filed a Freedom of Information Act to try and obtain the FBI files on the Black Dahlia murder. And during this, some weird stuff happened. He had a handwriting expert compare samples of his father's handwriting to the writing of the note that the, was sent to the press from the alleged killer. Mm -hmm. The analysis found strong possibilities that his father's handwriting matched. But because that's not like a 100% thing, they say, those were, were, those were not conclusive. But you want more evidence, right? Well, the Black Dahlia crime scene photos showed that Short's body had been cut in a manner consistent with having a hemochoroporectomy. Sure. Which is a medical procedure that slices the body beneath the lumbar spine that we talked about. And Hodel's father had been a doctor and he attended med school and he actually attended classes on how to do this in the 1930s and stuff. Now, additionally, Hodel's father also... Um, or, I mean, Hodel also searched his father's archives at UCLA, and he found a folder full of receipts for contracting work on his childhood home. And in that folder, there was a receipt that was dated a few days before the murder, where his dad bought a large bag of concrete, and it was the same size and brand of concrete bag that was found near Elizabeth Short's body that I talked about way earlier, remember, that had the few drops of blood on it. Hmm. Now, while fact-checking all this, the Los Angeles Times columnist named Steve Lopez requested the official police files from the case, and he made another discovery. After the murder, the LAPD said they had six main suspects, and George Hodel was actually one of them on the list. He was such a serious suspect that they bugged his home in the 1950s so that police could monitor his activities. Dang. Now, most of the audio was useless. But then they had this one thing. At 8.25 on a random day, they heard a woman scream two separate times. And that's it. Like a blood-curdling scream twice. And that was the end of it. Now, later that same day as the screaming day, they overheard George Hodel talking in one of the, the recordings saying, realize there was nothing I could do. Put a pillow over her head and cover her with a blanket. Get a taxi. Expired 1259. They thought it was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. Like that was a phone call. You mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? Yeah, so they heard that. That's a, that's a little... It's alarming. So Hodel's research has garnered more attention from law enforcement because in 2004, 
Stephen R. K., the head deputy for L.A. County's uh, district attorney office, said that if George Hodel was still alive, he thinks that there's enough here to indict him for Elizabeth Short's murder. Yeah. So I'd say so. So that's the second guy. All right. You ready to hear the third? Yeah. This is two guys. Okay. At the time of the investigation, a man named Leslie Short was considered to be the prime suspect. He was never brought to trial because of apparent clerical errors. Now, this, along with details of the case, has led theorists to believe that the Black Dahlia's murder wasn't solved because it could have been a police cover-up also. In 2017, a British author named P. Ewell had announced that she had finally solved the decades-old case and published her findings in a book. (sighs) The fucking titles. (laughs) It's called Black Dahlia, Red Rose, The Crime, Corruption, and Cover-Up of America's Greatest Unsolved Murder. It's over a line long. Just chill. <laughs> right? It's no reason for that. The real, like, is this a Fallout Boy song at this point? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. the real culprit she claimed was a man named Leslie Dillon. And she claimed that there was so much bigger things happening than just who killed her. Like, there, this had layers. Now, according to Ewell, Leslie Dillon worked as a bellhop and murdered Elizabeth due to orders from Mark Hansen. Now, You've heard of Mark Hansen earlier. Remember, he's the nightclub owner mm-hmm. who she was staying in the back house that had the girlfriend, right? Right. Now, he owned a local nightclub. He also owned a movie theater and stuff. And he worked with Leslie, the bellhop. Okay. Okay. Hansen was another suspect, but he ended up being let go. And he was the one that owned that address book that Elizabeth Short had. Now... He claimed he gave her the address book as gift, and she did live with him at a time, so that's not entirely unbelievable. Right. Elizabeth reportedly stayed with Hanson a few nights here and there and stuff, but I'm talking a few nights after she moved out. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he was one of the last people to have spoken with her before her death. Now, remember, the other guy was who she last was seen by. But this man had a phone call from her on January 8th. That could have been who she was calling in the hotel lobby. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ewell alleges that Hansen was infatuated with Elizabeth and he was constantly coming on to her. But Elizabeth had turned Hansen down because, you know, he's taken. And she said that this must have upset Hansen. So he called on Leslie Dillon to, like, take care of her. Meaning, like, you know, like, Give her the old rough and tough, like tell her that she should be mine, you know, like run her out of town, something because he didn't think that Leslie could kill her. Like he didn't think that's what would happen, supposedly. But Leslie Dillon had worked as a mortician's assistant. And so he knew how to bleed bodies dry and how to cut precisely. So in his mind, when he hears take care of her, he's thinking, I got to get rid of the body. Eatwell discovered from police records that Dylan knew details about the crime that weren't released to the public either. Like eerie details. One weird thing he knew was that Elizabeth Short had a tattoo of a rose on her thigh. But that wasn't released anywhere because that spot was cut off her body and not visible in any of the pictures or anything. And the skin was rolled up and shoved inside her vagina. Lovely. Mm-hmm. But... The reason why that's also weird is because people are thinking if her and Hanson didn't have anything, there's no reason Hanson should have known 
to tell Leslie either. So all of that is a like, mm, how did he know that? Mm-hmm. Now, then <laughs> something else happens. Um, they're like, how did you know about these weird facts? And he's like, I just found them out. Like, uh, I just know them. It's because it's because hold on now. He has a reason. He claimed he was an aspiring crime writer who told authorities that he was writing a book about the Black Dahlia murder case, and he just never then published it. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't believe that whole thing. Like, it's a, oh, I'm a crime writer, I'm a crime author, I'm a crime... Th-, and people do that, you know? Yeah. It gives me the vibes of, like, the uh, Cassie Joe. Stoddard, mm-hmm. where the two guys were like talking about it in their uh, study hall. Remember? Yeah. And uh, they were like, oh, like, how did you. Um, how did you know what was happening or whatever? And he was like, oh, you know, we don't know. We're just making a video. Do you want to be in our video? Cassie? Yeah. Oh, trust me. I know that case very well. We only did it three times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's um, in the archives, guys. It's the first one. <laughs> second one. I don't know it's the first one. Gainesville Ripper. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. We did it so many times. <laughs> um, There's also another case that's really similar to that. Um, And I'm trying to think of what it's called. And... I'm upset that I can't think of either of the people's names, but I know the entire case and what happens in it. And uh, I want to say her name was either like Jennifer or something like that. It's a very like um, normal woman's name. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm so mad that I genuinely can't think of it. But what happens is this guy murders his friend that's a girl. Because he thinks she's loaded and that she has a ton of money and she keeps it in like a bank account. And later he finds out it's only like $10,000 or something like that. And he thought it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. But um, he thinks that she has all this money and stuff and he's going to murder her because of it. Now, he's her friend, like her close friend even. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he ends up doing something mean to her dog, too. Like, he locks it up or he doesn't lock it up or something. I don't know. But he ends up killing her. And I think he dumps her body in the river or something. And then to catch him, one of their other friends gets bugged by the police. And they're like, I can help catch him. So they're sitting in a car. And this boy, like, they're, like, younger. I mean, maybe not, like, a boy. He's, like, maybe 17 to 25. He's, like, trying to catch his own friend who he knows murdered this girl, right? Maybe her name's Sarah, if not. It's just just such a normal name. I can't, I don't know why I can't think of it. (laughs) And he's, like, yeah, so what, uh, what happened? Like, oh, my gosh, like, what happened in that scenario? And he's, like, oh, well, you know, um, here's what I could do. If it was me, if I did murder her, and he describes it. In detail, word for word, exactly what really did happen and everything. And he's sitting there doing all this. And then they were like, so you didn't do it, though? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no,
I'm writing a film about what happened. And uh, that's just what would, would happen in my film if I made a film. And they're like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I want to say maybe it's the murder of Sarah Stern. That seems kind of accurate. Sarah Stern. Mm, I'm going to go on and say it's that. Okay. Okay. I looked up what happened to Sarah Stern. Are you ready to hear what actually happened? Mm -hmm. Sarah Stern was a murder case uh, where Liam McAtnesty is serving a life prison sentence. Liam was friends with Sarah and had unwillingly admitted on a secret taped videotape that he strangled his childhood friend and threw her body off a bridge in a robbery where he only ended up netting $10,000. He had been caught due to a a personal friend being interviewed by FBI to having links with the ties and connections of the case. He was bugged and put in the car. He was, oh my God, I can't he was bugged and put into a car to give an on, on taped confession where he admitted, I'm just filming a, a, a word that I don't know. Crime case. What is it? Salacious. Oh, okay. Salacious. <laughs> I couldn't think of how to pronounce it. Uh, so exactly what I described. Uh, I'm good. I can't believe I remembered enough. Whew. Tell you guys I have useless knowledge. But yeah, it it reminds me of that also. It's like a mix of that and Cassie Joe Stoddard. Okay. There's some weird people out there. Weird motherfucking people out there. <laughs> so he says that that's all that was happening was it was a crime writer. Oh my gosh. But you want to know what it's like. Hmm. There's those one time. Not there's those one time. There's that one, uh, that one new girl episode where Jess is doing like after school studies and that guy's writing a book about like murdering the deer and Nick's convinced that the deer is Jess and that the guy wants to murder Jess. I know this. (laughs) I know that episode. Like you like explaining every detail. It like opened my brain. Yeah. And he crawls in through the garage. It's that. Oh my gosh. That's (laughs) so funny. And they have a secret word and it's like apricot or something. And just like the guy walks in and just is like apricot, apricot. I'm sorry. I'm on the phone with the man who's getting groceries at my store. He's hard of hearing apricot, apricot, apricot. Yeah. Yes. No, I do remember that one. That's so funny. Uh, That's so funny. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, So, despite all the evidence that pointed towards Leslie Dillon maybe being part of this, he was never charged with the crime either. Now, Ewell claims he was released because Mark Hansen has ties with cops at LAPD, and Mark paid it off so that Leslie didn't get caught, because if Leslie gets caught, Mark has the potential to get caught. Mm. Another Full circle. Yeah. That one, that, again, makes sense. Yeah. Another discovery that works with this whole theory... Okay, is that during the time that this all happened, there was some motel room evidence that was found. Okay, Mm -hmm. during Ewell's research, she came a report by a man named uh, Henry Hoffman, who works at the Astor Motel. He owns it. Now, on the morning of January 15th, 1947, Henry opened the door of one of his cabins, okay, And he found the room covered in blood and fecal matter. In another cabin, he discovered that someone had left a bundle of woman's clothes wrapped in brown paper, which was stained with blood. 
But instead of reporting the crime, Henry simply cleaned it up because he had been arrested four days earlier for beating his wife and he didn't want to risk another run-in with the police and then think it's him. And uh, Elizabeth believes the motel is where Elizabeth Short was murdered. And eyewitness reports claim that they saw a woman that resembled Elizabeth Short at the motel shortly before the murder, but also people like Leslie and Hanson they thought they saw. That's why it's weird. Mm. So the case ended up going cold. And people's fascination with the story didn't quit. Elizabeth Short's unsolved murder inspired a ton of books and films, both fictional and nonfiction. Some of the most famous accounts of Elizabeth Short's murder is the Black Dahlia 2008 novel. People, um, you know, obviously think that that is... I mean, they're right. It's so good that it seems like it's a real true crime book, but it's technically not. Oh. It's nonfiction? Fiction. Which one's the not real? It's the one that's the opposite for me. Okay. Like fiction sounds real, but it's not. Because it sounds like the word fact. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Nonfiction is the... um, Unreal. It's Twilight. No. Oh, shit. It's opposite. Damn. (laughs) I know. I'm already fucked. I know. Okay. Yep. Fiction is nonfiction and nonfiction is fiction to me. Yeah, that's backwards. (laughs) I think we should have just called them factual and non-factual. We should have left it at that. Yeah. That would have been better. Yes. There's also a band named after the event. We already talked about that. There's also movies that sensationalized it a lot more. Of course. She's also featured in TV shows and stuff. One of the most famous ones I always think about is an American Horror Story. They have her. She's in Murder House. And then she's later in one of the other seasons where they revisit Murder House. Um, But she's played by the same girl that plays Kansas in the movie called Sugar and Spice about the cheerleaders that rob banks. Hmm. And it has that really handsome man in it that's from the Sonic movies. Oh, I like him. I love him. I don't remember his name. I don't either, but Margie always knows it. And right now she's yelling it through the thing. And she's really annoyed because she tells it to me. Literally James Marsden. Yeah, I was going to say, it's definitely James. I just don't it's remember. James Marsden. She tells me this man's name probably once a week because I bring him up for something. And she's always like, why don't you just fucking remember his name? I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I don't. And it happens to me all the time. Does that mean we're getting old or well, like No, what? the worst part is I think in my head, James Marsden and Richard Madden are the same person. They are not. They're not even the same nationality. Um, Richard Madden is the Stark guy from Game of Thrones. Oh. He's yeah, Rob, no. He's Rob very, Stark. Yeah. Yeah, very different people, right? Very different. He's also in like the Marvel movie, The Eternals and all that. Yeah, he's yeah. that man. And then, uh, you ready to hear the craziest ones? Are you really ready to judge me? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell you the most embarrassing thing that may have ever came out of my mouth i don't know <laughs> it's bad okay it's really it's it's really bad you guys none of you can judge me okay <sighs> all right guys i recently learned uh-huh <laughs> that ed sheeran and sean mendez and shane dawson are three different people <laughs> and then to make matters worse once she showed me who Ed Sheeran and Sean Mendez were, I was like, first off, one of them's hot, one of them's ugly. Right. I was like, oh, wait. Sean, Shane Dawson isn't the same person. I was like, 
Shane Dawson is. And I described Shane Dawson and she's like, that's not Shane Dawson. I don't know who you're describing, but it's not Shane Dawson. I was describing Sam Smith. Oh my God. <laughs> um, all very different people. <laughs> very, very different. And then to make matters even worse, I did another one where I was like, I also think these two people might be the same person. And I listed two other two super fucking off the wall people that are nothing alike. And mm-hmm. she's just like, how'd you make it this far? <laughs> like, like you're really bad at everything. <laughs> and then TikTok has this filter where it's like, sit at the lunch table with five celebrities. Mm-hmm. I did it like 20 times and I did not recognize a single fucking celebrity. <laughs> and I was like, yo, this is not the game for me. Cause I realized I don't know people. And then finally I did it. And I ended up with fucking slim shady twice. I ended up with, um, Logan Paul. And then that one girl who's really annoying, blonde, big boobs, and she changes her mind every two seconds. What? Tana, maybe? No, not Tana. Trisha Paytas. I don't know who that is. Trisha Paytas was the other person. Two Trisha Paytases in my table. I was like, I just won't eat that day. I'm not going to to lunch table. Um, yeah, I've learned that I don't know celebrity faces, names and stuff. Like this other time I did one where it was like, fuck, Mary kill. Mm-hmm. And a picture of a man popped up and I was like, I don't know who that man is, but he looks like a cult leader. It was Steve Jobs from <laughs> Apple. I remember that. And everyone had something to say about how I didn't know who Steve Jobs was. They were like, don't you own Apple? Everything. I was like, that, his I mean, it is, it is not, not a cult. <laughs> he looks like a cult leader. Yeah, he does. Have uh, you seen the movie? What With movie? Ashton Kutcher? No. Okay. Well, is there a movie? Yeah. Oh, definitely culty. Mm. a little bit hmm. I mean kind of okay well yeah so so there's that I mean you're better at the whole celebrity list than I am so I would probably be really bad so. well also but I did know the difference of all of those people <laughs> you mentioned. so this girl that I was talking about also that's in this American Horror Story that plays the Black Dahlia mm-hmm. I can tell you movies she's in and I can tell you movies Rose McGowan is in and I can see these two people and know they're two different people but I did not know they're two actually different people. Like, I guess I thought that she went by both names and was in both these movies. Like, mm-hmm. but she went by both different names. I think I thought she had like some sort of mental disorder where she didn't know she was two different people. Cause I definitely was like, oh, Rose McGowan, she's in these two movies. And I would name one that the one girl's in and one that Rose is in. And then I'd be like, oh, but that girl, she's in two movies. And I would name both of them. And I would be right about one, but wrong about the other. I don't understand how people are different people. So that's that. What's the Black Dahlia up to these days? Well, Elizabeth Short was buried in Oakland's Mountain View Cemetery because she loved California and her sister lived nearby in Berkeley. So it made sense. Only six family family members and a few police officers attended the private ceremony. After her younger sisters had grown up and gotten married, Phoebe, her mother, relocated to Oakland to be near her daughter's grave. Oh, now Phoebe, her mom, eventually returned to the East Coast in the 1970s, and she ended up dying late uh, later in life in her 90s. Hmm. So it's still unsolved, though. You could be the one. Go solve it. Interesting, ain't it though? It is. So who do you think did it? All right. So I was taking notes. So it's not red because there's no motive. I just I don't see it. I don't see the motive. Okay. Um. I almost feel like Hanson and what's the other guy's name? Uh, Leslie. Leslie. Yep. I feel like they knew 
Hodel. Mm, okay. So you're it's, just going to wrap them all together so that you're not wrong now. No, it's just like there's no way that all of that information that of what Hodel had is coincidental. Because well, like the like physical evidence of him saying all that stuff in his in his home, like that's pretty solid evidence. And something that gets to me is they said we think that police uh, were paid off or whatever. It would have also been interesting if maybe police weren't paid off. However, his son is a police officer and he's a doctor. Like, right. Maybe he just actually had the information. Right. It's just it seems like too good to be true for all of those men to not be involved in some way. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and I almost well, when you were talking about the motel, like that's definitely where she was murdered. It, yeah, or someone was if it wasn't her, but that would <laughs> yeah. be interesting if it well, there were some serial killers at that area, though. But couldn't you match the fecal matter? You probably could have. Did they? I don't think so. Or does that, like, die? <laughs> I don't know a lot about that. I don't know. I feel like that carries your DNA, all right? Yeah. What? I feel like it should. Yeah. Hmm. So I, there's just, like, no way it, those two situations are way too coincidental to be coincidences. Like, that's there's no way. And especially, like, going through his things later and finding those photos. Yeah, that's weird. They had to have known each other in some sort of aspect. Like, that's what I would be looking into the most if I was, like, investigating it. Yeah, I I don't know. It's a weird one. It is. So for sources, I used the documentary The Cold Case Files, The Black Dahlia episode, season five, episode 16. There's a podcast that's really good called Root of Evil. It's the true story of the Hodel family and the Black Dahlia. There's an article by BBC News, The Black Dahlia, Los Angeles' Most Famous Unsolved Murder by James Bartlett, I read. There's also an article by The Guardian, I Know Who Killed the Black Dahlia, My Own Father by Alexis Fitz. So. Whew. Crazy. 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 Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting that the podcast, uh, Root of Evil, the title is the story of the Hodel family. Mm-hmm. Might listen to that. Yeah, it was, it wasn't what I expected. It was really good. I yeah. do suggest listening to that if you guys want like an in-depth random thing to focus on for the next few days. You, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Well, we are so damn close now. We're, we're into June, guys. We're halfway through the year. We are like a f- I'm doing math. We're like 14, I think, episodes. Well, I guess this would be 87, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 13 episodes away from 100 episodes. How does that make you feel? <laughs> 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 100. That'll be like August 29th-ish. Yeah. That that drops. Yeah. Crazy. That's not too far. That's only two, four, six, eight, nine weeks away from our two year anniversary. Whoa. 
Oh my god! No. <laughs> what? <laughs> no fake news. <laughs> fake that that didn't happen. That seems insane, right? Huh. Well, thank you guys for listening and thank you guys for making this podcast what it is because you guys make us have a reason to do it. You guys are part of the CSP family and you guys make us have something to talk about. You guys give us uh, like suggestions and all that kind of stuff. Meaning to life. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Big shout out to Taylor with Lab Monkey Creative on Instagram every week for doing our editing for us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, which is at Cryptic Soup Pod, where DMs are always open for suggestions, so slide on in. You can also join the Facebook group, which is Cryptic Soup Pod Official. In this group, we post further updates on our lives or the cases, so join us and hang out on the socials to stay up to date and be a part of the CSP fam. All of our links can also be easily found at crypticsouppod.com as well. Any kind of Apple podcast review and or ratings or Spotify ratings helps us out. It gets our name out there and it makes us feel all great. We'll give you any kind of shout out you want if you leave one and we will um, say thank you to you. So remember, guys, to subscribe, follow, tune in and keep up with us. And remember to join the conversation where we'll see you next Tuesday for the next episode. Stay tuned.